1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for usafootball.com And Keely, you're our newest reporter on uscfootball.com. She's in the studio with us. We're going to answer a lot of your USC football questions. It's kind of a crazy week. we got Pac-12 Media Day coming up Wednesday and Thursday. Then fall camp starting soon after that on the 29th. So it should be a lot of fun. Lots of stuff going on. Summer workouts have wrapped up, and uh, we want to talk about all the topics heading into fall camp and, of course, the much-anticipated 2017 season. If you have any questions or comments, we do love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll try to get to each and every one of your emails. And if you want to call or text, you can do it at our number, 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. That's our Google voice number. Uh, you can text to it. You can leave a voicemail, try to keep it brief. We don't want to be playing two or three minute voicemails on the podcast, but we would love to hear from you. If you want to subscribe, itunes.com slash peristyle podcast. And we're on Google play and stitcher radio and audio boom tune in radio, all those different ways you can download our show, leave us positive feedback. We love all that. And thanks for, uh, Making us part of your day here on the Parastyle podcast. Well, let's welcome in first. Uh, I'll do Keely yours. She's sitting right next to me. What's up, Keely? How are you doing? Hello.
2: I'm good. A question. Do you plan out how long you say hello in the beginning? It's always varies the, the length.
1: Yeah. My, I don't know. I probably have a, a face for radio and a voice for Morse code or something. <laughs> so I'm not, a. Uh, that's an old, reference. um, so it's not the best at that. So I just whatever, whatever it lasts. You well, know, oh, it's good.
2: It's however, good. However, I'm
1: going to. It, it, as long as it'll hold out, then I'll try it's your to
2: signature it. bit. It's good. Yeah,
1: it's so a little bit there, and then we have Dan Weber too on the line, uh, joining us via Skype. Uh, what's up, Dan?
0: Hey, not much. Uh, busy, busy, busy week. We've been kind of aiming for this uh, week, and we get the whole the whole McGill finishing up all the previews and the preseason stuff, and the uh, Pac-12 media days, and the team reports, and we get practice before the end of the week on Saturday. So this is a good one. This is, uh, this is why you, you get involved in this stuff. There's just that kind of natural buildup, and then all of a sudden it's here.
1: It is here, and uh, it kind of happened with our transition on the website, too. So if you guys haven't checked it out, uscfootball.com has a brand-new platform. So I'm getting about an email every 10 or 15 minutes that they can't log in. So I'm helping everybody with that. Um, if you have, just basically go to our new website, go to uscfootball.com, log in with the same email address you had registered with Scout, if you forget the password, click forgot password. It'll send it to you. Get on there. Jump on the peristyle. You can talk with all of us. Uh, hopefully it'll work out. If you If you have any problems, you can always email me, podcast at uscfootball.com or ryan at uscfootball.com. But that's been a little crazy the last couple of days, but we still wanted to do, still putting up a lot of content. Dan has put up a lot of uh, previews from fall camp. So there's a couple, two or three going up a day. Keely's been putting up videos. Uh, we've all been putting up stories. So lots of stuff going up on uscfootball.com. And, uh, Dan, one of the big questions we've been getting is, when's the practice schedule coming out? When's the practice schedule coming out? And if you guys remember, I put in the war room a few weeks ago, a little mm-hmm. bird told me practices were going to be closed to the public. Not to the media, but the public. And um, we didn't really talk about it on the show, but now we learned about that yesterday. So they sent out the practice schedule. Uh, there's one day off every week, which is a new NCAA rule. USC's taking Sundays off starting on Saturday, like Dan said, but only July 29th, Saturday, and July 31st, Monday, will be open to the public because there's a new, at least according to USC, there's a new NCAA rule making uh, August a quiet or dead period in recruiting. They don't want recruits to be on campus, so they're closing practice to the public for that. Um, So Eric and Duck Country had the first question. I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Dan. You too, Keeley. Why are practices now closed? Is it just for fall camp, or will it continue into the season? Will the media still be allowed? Thanks, as always. Eric and Duck Country.
0: Yeah, I mean, when we say uh, uh, that they're closed, uh, in most places that means closed to the media. You know, that means like uh, like if you're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, within a block of the stadium when they're practicing <laughs> and you have a camera, you be may shot. be under arrest. So, uh, uh when we say closed at USC, it usually we're referring to uh, uh, the general public and fans. And, uh, and it has been open in most of the preseason until they really get into game week preparation uh, forever, uh, certainly since we've been around. Uh, the, the new NCA rule, the way USC is interpreting it with the month of August uh, is, a, is a dead period. That you can't have, uh, you know, the potential of cr- recruits and you know other people being in the same the same location. Uh, we're getting you get different readings from different schools on this new rule and what it means. Uh, you know, there are, are other places where it is impacting whether high school teams can play in uh, college uh, facilities uh, in the month of August and and. You know, games, uh, bowl games, uh, you know, kind of things like that have been uh, have been had had to move out of uh, college facilities because of the new rule. So it has has some impact. But uh, yeah, I think we tried to tell people who were planning to come to town in August to not be, you know, maybe go to Disneyland or something. But you may not, you know, you're not going to probably get to see practice, and and that turns out to be the case. So you got two days. Uh, you got this Saturday and this Monday. And that's it. So, uh, I know they won't be in, in pay ads yet, but, uh, but you will get to see two practices, uh, if you, uh, if you choose to do so. But, uh, we will, it looks like our schedule hasn't really changed at all, that, uh, the media will, you know, will go with the same schedule. So, uh, you know, at least, uh, we're still in there, right? <laughs> and, 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 that really matters, because we'd love, and I think that's one of the things, USC football has done so well, and we thank all you guys out there. But uh, but being there, we like to be there, and we like to report, you know, what we see there, and we like to get it to you, you know, right away with instant analysis and ghost notes and all the other stuff and all the highlights and what have you. And so, uh, you know, it's hard to complain too much because we're still we're still in there, and we're getting a a lot better view of USC football than almost anybody else. Around the country, so uh, uh, so we'll have to be your eyes and ears uh, in August.
2: Yeah, I was going to say. Well, it's easy to complain in the bubble of USC. We definitely are getting more access than a lot of programs around the country. So it's it's good, but it's bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, they've they've put mm. extra restrictions. Um, but overall, if you cover USC, you get more access than if you cover uh, other major programs. Um, so it's it's definitely a good thing. But it's been more and more restrictive. Uh, pretty much every year, uh, restricting in the summer. Um, but, yeah, we're not going to get a lot of uh, sympathy. from. But you know, it's basically for us, we want to provide you guys with the best uh, coverage possible so the more access we have, uh, the easier that is, the more we can learn about the team and kind of share our thoughts on what we see and uh, what's going on out there. But I think some of it is also the nature of being in Los Angeles. Like if you're in Tuscaloosa, if you're a newspaper within 100 miles, that's what your main thing is Alabama football all the time. In Los Angeles, it's very different. I mean, you have multiple, multiple uh, sports pro teams plus another major university. So, if you close everything off and have zero access, there's just other schools, other programs that can be covered. So, it, it's kind of strategic, I think, if you're, a, a, you know, a program here. If you want more coverage, you kind of have to give people access.
0: Well, also, how much does yeah, that play into? Yeah, I, I was gonna say where I live. You know, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, in Orange County. A lot of attention that the uh, Chargers are here. They're in Costa Mesa. They're you know going to be at uh, such and such a sports. I can't remember the name of the guy that the sports center is named after, uh, where they built their new uh, you know practice facility. And they're all open. So you know I think they they may be opening the same day as USC. Uh, so you've got some competition. So I'm not sure you're in a position in LA to close everything down uh, with with two. NFL teams that are encouraging people to, to come to their preseason practices.
2: Yeah, and I, it also benefits them in a way, because that's something that when players are going on to the next level, USC always us, well, oh, our, our players are media trained. They've, always, they've had media in L.A. They know what they're doing. So it also helps them in that way, too, with the next level. So
0: Well, it's not, and it's not even a case that USC say saying that. It really is true. Yeah, yeah. USC kids are so much more comfortable uh, you know, with a microphone in their face. And I mean, there are honest to goodness, uh, there are college coaches in the sec that don't handle themselves as well as, uh, as, as, you know, USC's kids. I mean, you could be an assistant coach for Nick Saban and they allow you to speak once a year. Uh, you know, you don't get a lot of media training. I'm, I'm surprised some of his guys, uh, you know, can get head coaching jobs because they just don't get to do that. And, uh, the USC kids really do. And I think it helps them in all the interviews they do with the NFL teams, uh, you know, before they get drafted. I think it, 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 plays in their favor. I think like Juju has just been a, you know, a darling of the Pittsburgh media. And Stevie T has been a darling, you know, down at Tampa Bay. I mean, the USC kids just, uh, Dory, of course, has kind of taken over Nashville. And, uh, it's really a, a plus for a kid coming out of the USC program. There's no question about that.
1: I think the assistant coach point is a very good one too, Dan, because like when, say, USC hires Dylan McCullough from Indiana, you can go on YouTube and see interviews he's done um, during the season, during practice, things like that, and you can kind of get a feel for what he's like. If you hire the running back coach from Alabama, you're not going to see anything from what he's doing there if you can talk to the media once a year. Now, it's a different way to skin a cat. You can say, hey, I got the (laughs) <laughs> I got the running back coach from Alabama. He's probably pretty darn good, you know. Um, the one for Indiana, you could look at his track record, you but you'd like to see what's going on. But that's what my point is that, yeah, USC is a power program, you know, one of the top five all time. But being in Los Angeles, it's a different market. And I think it's a mistake. You know, if you're working towards closing it and making it look like Alabama, I just think that would be a mistake in this market.
0: Yeah, you just can't do it. You yeah. can't do it. There, there's just so much uh... – TV time, and, and, you know, it's important. I think when you're walking up to the, you know, uh, Howard Jones Field and you see those TV trucks there, that really matters because there are a lot of places they could go. Uh, You know, you got the Dodgers and the Angels and who knows what. And before, you know, you're much into October, you got both hockey teams and both, you know, NBA teams. And uh, you really want them stopping by once or twice a week at practice. And uh, you close that practice, uh, they're not going to be there. And, uh, you know, I don't know how you can calculate that, but uh, uh, I think the Dodgers have, you know, with their TV contract, where, you know, as good as they are and as much as people want to watch them, they they can't watch them. And, uh, you know, you understand now that the Major League Baseball, you know, is even worried about, you know, here we got one of our two or three great franchises, and and most people even in L.A., they can't see them. And uh, that's, uh, that's a worry. They're getting a lot of money. But, uh, but it's hard for people to, you know, to watch the Dodgers. And I think people understand that probably not a, a good long-term plan for the Dodgers.
1: Let's uh, move on. We got Mark had a question. He said, a couple of years ago, I offered an opinion that the offensive line was not as good as their respective five-star designations would warrant. Each of you indicated that the problem was not the player's ability, but rested in the coaching ability. Uh, Lately, it appears that your opinions have changed and you regard the current group of players at a higher ability than the previous group. Are the current players better or are you just rethinking your opinion on the previous group? Love to hear your discussion during the next broadcast from Mark.
0: Well, I mean, I think we all feel real, you know, confident in Neil Calloway. I think he is everything he's ever done, his background and all of that. And I think there's a stability with him that there wasn't in previous years, uh, you know, no matter who was there. And he had some good ones and some not, you know, so good ones, but there was this constant shuffling and, 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 you know, and moving through the ranks and, 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 you know, and they, there were some limitations. I mean, they had some big, big guys who could do some things and couldn't do other things. And, you know, guys with, you know, the, the five-star, you know, were really good in, in high school, and, and that's probably the hardest thing, I think, to evaluate kids coming out of high school at the line of scrimmage because the, the guys they're playing against are never, almost ever, ever, close to what they're going to be playing against in college every play, every day. And it's just really hard to say, is this just because this guy was so big and, and nobody could challenge him? or is he athletic enough to be able to, to make those plays, you know, at the, at the college level. And so that was kind of an issue, you know, for Zach and, and Damien and, and those guys, but you know, they, they were veterans. They tried hard, Uh, you know, they, they tried to take advantage of, of the things, you know, that they could do well, but uh, you know, it was was a combination of things I think, uh, you know, with them. I mean, last year, you get the, the really good break. Say the last 10 games, uh, uh, Sam Darnold is sacked only 10 times, or six times, I'm sorry, six times in 10 games. That's pretty unbelievable. Uh, and then you realize that probably wasn't completely uh, dependent on the line of scrimmage play. So that was very much dependent on Sam Darnold. And the fact that, you know, no matter how many times somebody got through, uh, the first guy almost never took Sam down. So, you know, you can read the stats one way or the other. But I don't think they paid a big penalty last year for maybe being slightly immobile and unable to maybe do you – know, they paid a penalty against Alabama. I mean, you know, they, there were guys head-on, you know, on, on, on USC's players and Alabama, they wouldn't even touch it. I mean, Alabama kids, you know, be in the backfield having been untouched. And so, uh, that wasn't necessarily their strong point, but I don't know if that was a failure in coaching or, 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 whatever it was, they just weren't athletic enough probably to be able to do, you know, to do some of the things you'd like them to do. Uh, had they gotten Alabama in the last game of the season, I think they figured out, well, this is what we can do. And this is what we can't do. But, uh, I don't know if that's a, a good enough answer or not, but uh, I think we you do change your opinion as you go along, and you see, you know, more of the coaching, you see more of the, you know, the players develop, and uh, so I don't know that it was like we ranked those guys better then, or we ranked them worse now, or we ranked these guys better. It's just, I you know I think it real it really changes each year with, you know, both the coach and the and the scheme. And, um, and the talent, you know, behind them as well. I mean, you can make a great block if that guy doesn't hit the hole, doesn't get the timing right, all that, you know, it doesn't, doesn't make any difference. So, you know, it's hard to separate one, you know, element from another.
2: Yeah. I'm always so curious about when in regards to the O line, how much the coaching plays. I mean, this upcoming year is the first time that they've had the, a coach for two years in a row, you know, guys like chad wheeler zach bainer had five different o-line coaches you know how much does that play into all that as well so that's what i always think about too
0: yeah there's no question that's absolutely true i mean they were i think there were years these guys were kind of coaching themselves yeah and uh and that's probably not a good thing it's certainly not probably a good thing for zach to say okay zach you just kind of coach yourself you know well uh he he didn't mind doing that probably. I don't know that <laughs> that was the best thing for him. He so, does like yeah, to hear He you know, probably yelled at himself him a two lot. years in a row. or are, yeah. are really going to benefit from that?
1: So I think Keeley stole my note. I wrote down like five O line coaches in five seasons, and that's what uh-huh. Keeley said. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about having her in my <laughs> studio.
0: Here. You can kick me out. I'm always afraid See, when they mention that because because there might be a, a, a quiz and as, ask as, 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 as you to name all five of them. And it's like, mm, let me see. Mm. well, there was one. I remember is,
2: Tim Drevno <laughs> is the farthest I go back right now off the top of my head. Wait,
0: and Tim Drevno, and then he'd say, well, wow, he's the offensive coordinator, you know, at Michigan. I guess he's still there, right? Yeah, uh, for Harbaugh. So, uh, so he moved upward and onward, and one of the million dollar assists. I think they have four assistants at Michigan. Maybe it's five now, making a million dollars or more uh, a year. So. Uh, the so Drevno has uh, has done very nicely by uh, by being with Harbaugh.
1: It kind of goes back to the Lane Kiffin years, and there was a couple of years where yeah. USC had two offensive line coaches. So basically, <laughs> USC had James Craig, and everyone felt he should be fired. I think people told Lane Kiffin he has to fire him, and to be defiant, he didn't fire him. He kept him on, but moved him, and then hired another offensive line coach. So it was it was kind of like that was one of those immature moments by Lincoln, but that kind of started this downward spiral. Um,
0: Hey, yeah, uh, um, every, uh, everybody needs a driver there, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's um, what it was. Sometimes you just move him aside and, 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 you know, and, and the guy he brought in, and that's one of the things that Lane did so well, he brings in a, you know, Mike Summers, I guess, right from Florida. And he's back at Louisville, I guess now, but, uh, uh, very good coach, uh, kind of a Neil Calloway, uh, you know, sort of a guy. But uh, uh, it just things just didn't go together. It just you know, just bringing this guy and this guy doesn't necessarily make it work. Well, let's
1: uh, let's go to the, to the Bay Area, Keith in Oakland. He has, he goes. I enjoy the podcast. My questions are for Dan. Number one, has there been any progress made this summer in regards to the kicking game?
0: We re- we don't know a lot about that. That's a really good question. I think I've seen Chris Tilby one time. Uh, they don't normally work out when we're around. Uh, so yeah, in terms of what's happened since the spring, I don't think we know. And I think he may have even gone home. Uh, and when we John say under. home, we're not talking about you know San Diego. We're you know we're talking about Melbourne. I think it's Melbourne uh, Australia. So, uh, but he's the holdover, uh, you know, you got a new snapper. You're going to have a new place kicker. You're going to have a new, uh, uh let's see. Well, the, all the return guys probably going to be new. Uh, so there'd be a, a whole new special team kind of a deal, but, uh, but we really don't get to get a sense of that, uh, in the summer because, and and smartly, they don't need to be necessarily with everybody else, uh, when they're working out. I mean I think Toby can be one of those big leg kickers if they let him. If they you know, say, go ahead and just turn it loose every single time. Uh I think he can. Uh as to as to the place kicker, you know, Mike Brown kicked the fifty seven yarder in high school and he earned a scholarship last year, he redshirted. Uh and then there's a kid from modern day, uh, preferred walk-on, and Chase McGrath, I, I guess, who people really like. Uh, so there'll be a little competition, you know, uh, for the kickers. But uh, uh, we will, and, and it'll be interesting to see as much emphasis as there is on special teams with Baxter once they get into, into, into practice mode. A lot of that is on, uh, you know, on the coverage and blocking and blocking blocking kicks and all that, it's still not as much on, uh, on the guys actually doing the kicking. But, but I think we'll have a sense. They put them under decent pressure, and I think we'll have a sense with that you know, place kicker, which one of the, of the two, and whether you're going to have... They do do a lot of work on kickoff, and I think last year you got the sense that uh, you know, they were going to be able to kick the ball into the end zone most of the time and i think they got much more comfortable doing that than trying to directionally kick it a little bit short and cover uh i think they feel like and I, so i don't know what they're thinking this year maybe we won't know until they really get a sense of uh, in fall practice whether they're going to trust the uh, kickoff guy to just go and you know bust it into the end zone uh like Bormister did last year
1: and his second question was, what three things are you most interested in observing at the first week of fall camp? So we'll get you and Keeley to answer this one. Hmm. Um,
0: I think I want to see how they want to run the ball. I, I, I just, you get a sense of, uh, you know, what, what's the basic philosophy of the run game going to be? How's it going to fit in? I think we kind of have a sense of how they're going to distribute the ball uh, you know, in the passing game and, and what they're going to expect of, Matt, of Sam and all the things, you know, and that there are going to be a whole lot of wide receivers and tight ends that they're going to get a chance to catch it. So, but I, I think the running game and, and how they what's the basic uh, part of the run game. Secondly, I'd like to see how they're going to get pressure on the quarterback. I think they had 26 sacks last year, and I guess it's not terrible, but it's not very good. With the athletes they had, and with a philosophy to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage, so so I think that that would be the second thing, uh, and I think that changes the whole nature of the secondary and their ability to make plays if you can really get pressure on uh, on the quarterback. And I guess the third thing will be special teams, just to get a sense of of you know when you you're starting over with almost every part of your special teams, uh, what does that look like? I think that. That matters, and we, as a matter of fact, don't know a lot about how that's going to go. But but that'd be kind of kind of the things I might look at.
2: I'm really curious about the wide receiver group, just how that all shakes out. Because like, besides Deontay Burnett, maybe Jalen Green, just because of seniority, it's kind of a open season for who wants to grab what spot. So I, I I'm interesting to see. I'm interested to see how that. Develops because it's really up for grabs, like whether or not Michael Pittman, he he definitely in spring was showing signs yeah. of of being one of the guys. But this is the first time that there's not some superstar waiting in the wings. You know what I mean? Like Juju yeah. after Nelson left, or you know there there's kind of yeah, you know, like Robert systems.
1: Woods and Marquis Lee and yeah. Nelson Aguilar and Juju Smith-Schuster. There was a five star guy who played as a freshman. Yeah. and you haven't, they don't have one like that yeah.
2: this year. Yeah, so I'm really curious to see who kind of shows up.
0: Oh, to be honest, watching him in the summer, uh, Deontay Burnett is that kind of, you know, that Jerry Rice guy. He's not the fastest. He's not the biggest. He's not the, just the best. You know, he catches it. He gets open. got great body control. Uh, so I think you do have that sort of a guy, although yeah, how they'll use do. him, uh, I don't think we know – but I think you're really right on the rest of them. Man, you can just, uh, you know, you go to practice and and you watch a, like a Jody Lewis or a Randall Grimes and you think, okay, put them in there too. I mean, or you, you, you see a Josh or Motter baby and you think, man, that kid, you know, that's Juju, uh, only jumps higher. Uh, and so I don't have a clue. I think you're right, Kelly. There's just, it's to shake them up and see who comes out. Yeah, and
2: it's not only just quantity, it's quality. Like you said, there's they're good. So yeah. it's, it'll be interesting to see who, who fends for themselves.
0: I would put the
1: offensive oh, yeah, line man. there too just to see what, you know, because we saw like an Andrew Voorhees come in the spring and no one really expected him to be like, hey, dude, he could play. Like he could start. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, Austin Jackson, could he come in there and do that? Yeah, we, t- we talked to, It was funny. Yesterday we talked to Harvey Hyde and uh, he wants things mixed up. He likes Chris Brown better at tackle than at guard. He wants Lobandon at guard and not tackle. And I was telling him, well, that's kind of not the way they've been doing things. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Dan, but I, I think there's a lot of options, a lot of ways they could go with it.
0: Yeah, how they end up mixing and matching the offensive line, because, you know, I think they're giving. I, mean, I think I really like this staff that, and Clay, you play, you know, the way you practice, you're going to get a chance to play. There, there, there is that legitimate um, uh, ability to make yourself uh, make a spot for yourself uh, based on practice, and I don't think it's uh, well. Where do we recruit you, and how you know how important are you to our recruiting efforts? And and we'll get you in there because we got to show everybody that our recruits, uh, you know, from wherever you're from, play and all that. You don't get any sense of that. They're just going to try to figure out who you know is, is Nico. Nico, kind of the center and, uh, and Toa, the, you know, the left tackle and, um, you know, how, how quickly does a, a, a an Andrew Voorhees at right tackle come along or is Austin Jackson? He certainly looks the part and looks like he could run, uh, obviously as a former, you know, uh, member of their, uh, relay team at six, six and 300 plus pounds, uh, in high school, uh, how soon does it take to, you know, and how do they, how do they make sure that they give them a chance to, to show whether they can do that? I mean, things have changed. It used to be a true freshman playing on offensive line at this level. is just not happening. And yet the last two years, Alabama has started a true freshman tackle. And the one kid was from Folsom, California. So, uh, it's not unheard of anymore, even at, you know, the Alabama level. So, uh, uh, yeah, how how that all goes together on the offensive line, uh, and I don't know that because of the uh, being not in pads, I don't know you'll see that the first week, but you know the first few weeks, uh, I think that'll be a real focus uh, once they once they get into pads.
1: Let's uh, Tarek had a question: What steps does Biggie Marshall need to take? To grow from a good cornerback to an elite cornerback
0: I think he's just got to trust his ability, and he does it. he's so competitive and we're talking I was talking to him about this the other day. he so wants to shut you down, he so wants to stop you that he has gotten a little pansy uh, early in the play when he didn't need to be and um, I just think trust his ability. And I think he's grown up to the point where, um, where he can trust his ability and 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 run with the run with the guy and make the play when the ball gets there and and you know redirect him and do all the things that he should be doing. At, you know, a six one two hundred pounds, uh, you know, big and strong a corner as he is, he can do all that. But just that, I mean, I just think he's got such a will to. I can't let anybody do anything against me. And he, he's had a little trouble at times resisting that urge to just grab somebody. If they, they do something that surprises him. And I think at that point, he got to trust his ability to stay in the play and stay with the ball and, and, and be a better athlete, you know, when the ball gets there. And, uh, I think that's a lot of judgment. Some of it's coaching. I mean, I, I think we gotta you know, we gotta see some things happen there at the at the coaching level. I mean I, I think there was a, a good discussion on the board the other day about Adori who didn't ever seem to benefit from all of the kinds of 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 ways to play the football and use his hands, uh that maybe, you know, athletically he could have done and some of that was he wasn't there in spring and, and all that, but I, I think they probably, you know, as a group, need to to really learn uh, how to play the ball, how to not, you know, grab anybody, and how to trust their ability. They're all good enough athletes, uh, but, you know, have the confidence in yourself that you can make the play and you don't have to grab that guy. You know, I mean, we'll still think about that the Utah game where uh, last year where, you know, Biggie doesn't grab that kid. Um they don't get a first down and the game's over. And uh can't do that anymore. He's just got to got to not 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 have that and he knows it. He knows. But uh that's what I'd like to see from you know, from Biggie.
1: We got one from Josh, uh Dan. He goes, Hey Dan, Ryan and then he puts Ann Keely question mark. Oh wow. Um so he's already anticipating that you were gonna be joining the show.
2: Nice job.
1: Yeah. There you go, Josh. Uh, I love the show. Well, thank you, Josh. I love that. I can listen to the podcast for my, uh, my Trojan football fix during the off season. Hype makes me nervous. The last time the Trojans entered a season with this much preseason hype was the 2012 season. And that didn't end too well for our boys. The final record of seven and six, five and four in the Paco South. I know that season was in the middle of the sanctions era, but is there a chance history can repeat itself? What is Clay and the rest of the staff doing to keep the team focused on performance and not all of the hype? Thanks a lot. Josh from the Mojave Desert.
0: Yeah, Josh, I think that season went bad. The, the day Matt Barkley said he was coming back, they had a uh, Christmas tree up in the, uh, in Heritage Hall. And I still remember, you know, it was like, this is all USC news, he's coming back, unfinished business, it's all going to be taken care of. And I think, unfortunately, those guys were not so far removed from the Pete Carroll era where they didn't think maybe there's just some magic about USC and it's all going to happen. And I still remember trying to and, – and, you know, they were coming off of that team, I think the 2011 team might have been ranked uh, – you know, barely in the top ten. But by the end of the year, I they might have been able to beat anybody in the country. I mean, uh, you know, I know it was it was tough. You know, they 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 crushed Oregon for three quarters, and then then Monty went into prevent, and and they ended up needing a missed field goal to you know to win that game. But but uh, that was a really good Oregon team. That you know that they were just significantly better than you know on the road. Uh, so I think people kind of thought well, that's going to carry over. Unfortunately, the guy who, you know, the two guys who really drove that team were, uh, uh, Matt Khalil and, uh, and Red Ellison. They were the enforcers. They were the tough guys. They were the, you know, the real, real talents on that team. And when they left, a lot of the toughness went with them. And, um, uh, you know, I still remember writing that I think they're good enough, but, and I said, there's, you know, one big question mark. And, a question mark is the coach and goodness gracious, you couldn't even have guessed where that season was going in terms of the coaching and all of the, all of the issues. And I, there are people who, who are probably better off not coming off that kind of a, a big year. Uh, and, you know, the whole, you know, the year starts with, uh, well, did you vote for USC number one or didn't you vote for USC number one? Or you did, but you lied about it. Da, 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 da. I mean, it was just, one of those after another, you know, culminating in the, in the Sun Bowl. I don't think any of that's possible with this team. I think this team, uh, Clay has, you know, it's not about Clay. It's about them. It's about practice. It's about routine. It's about technique. It's about none of the other stuff that's, that's out there. It's not about, you know, uh, uh, who's coming back or who's not or, or any of that. It's just, uh, you know. I mean, I think he was smart enough to, right after the Rose Bowl, talk about it's not about the Rose Bowl. As much as everybody was excited and thrilled to death about how the Rose Bowl went, I think they were very wise in saying, you know, that, that game's not going to help us now. You know, It might help you recruiting. It might help you other ways. But it's not going to ha- help you on the field. And I think this group of guys are far enough removed from the Pete Carroll, you know, dominant era that they don't know any other way. I mean, they don't, I don't think this group feels like it's owed to them. Um, they have more of an attitude of if we outwork everybody and we out-tough everybody and, you know, we have all of this as a as background, we will win those games. And that was how the kind of the Pete Carroll era got started, is they believed that, uh, we've practiced tougher than everybody else, we've practiced harder, we work at it more than they do, when push comes to shove, we're gonna win. This team is closer to that, that it's more about, uh, how you got here than the fact that you're USC, uh, and that kind of the world owes you, owes you something because you're USC. I don't get any sense of that with this team much at all. And that's – so I think that's a big difference.
2: Yeah, like you said, the first practice of spring, Clay Helton was like, the Rose Bowl is done. It's over. I've only watched it once, and that's it. I'm not going to watch it again. It's over. And it kind of has that ripple effect through the team. I mean, just talking to the guys, though, they definitely think a national championship is in their sights. They are very confident. But the thing is, is like other seasons ago – Players would say that, but they kind of would say it because it's the right thing to do. You know, like, oh, like, well, of course the national champions are our goal. Why not? Why wouldn't that be our goal? You know, but these guys actually are like, no, like, we work hard. Like, we, we think that we can really do it as opposed to like, we think that this is what we should say and we should do. You know, there's a difference. And I think the turnaround from a horrible beginning of the season last season to they put in the work, they bought in and look where they ended. They're like, okay, if we keep doing that and that work, what will happen next, you know? So
1: it's
0: funny. I think they're much connected oh. to what they do, not who they are. It's like, mm-hmm. we are what we do. Uh, because they found out they showed up, at you know, play Alabama thinking we're USC. Look at us. We're big shots. And that they found out how far that went. And then they realized, okay, you are who what you do. And you either get ready and you're able to do it or, or get off the field. Cause you're not going to be, you're not going to be good enough. You're right. That was an unbelievably good learning lesson, uh, the month of September last year.
1: And Dan, the, oh, if you want, the, um, if I'm not mistaken, so there were so many distractions. Uh, I think our, our buddies over at Rain of Troy did like a whole episode on the disaster that was the 2012 season, like everything that went wrong. And it was pretty funny. If you want to go back and do that, but, um, the, you know, there were so many things like painting slogans on the turf. Like there were so many things that were just distractions. You know, leading up to the players not even wanting to go to El Paso and all that stuff. But the, the, the one I remember most is Lane Kiffman got so adamant about talking about injuries. Like he was so worried. Like he became so worried. And I think it was Khalid that's Holmes. the one,
0: by the way, that's the one I remember the most. Too. Well, yeah,
1: cause you were intimately involved. <laughs> um, Khalid Holmes was like injured and. You know, he missed the game, so that was the the Cyrus Hobby game where he got overwhelmed against Stanford. So they and they didn't play yeah. Abe, Abe Markowitz or they could have, and like because Kiffin didn't like him or whatever, so they could have pretty won that game if if Kiffin's ego would have checked. They just played. Or the, they could the have walker.
0: put John Martinez at center. Yeah, something like that. that. Oh, but anyway, you
1: basically yeah. just asked him something about hey, there was like practice was upbeat today. Is it because you know Holmes is back because he came back from his injury and Kiffin like I mean it was like a twelve year old child and he like. Just, he said, I'm out of here, whatever, and just walked away. Like, just, just, it was the most embarrassing.
0: That
2: was, Dan started that? Dan started that. Oh, Dan, how come you never told me that? And,
0: and I tried, this, I felt sorry for him. So, (laughs) I gave him a softball question. I gave him a chance to say, yeah, it's great. We got our center back. Things are going to be good. You know, we got that, put that Stanford game out of our mind, because basically, that's one of the few games in history where they lost the game because of one guy in one position who didn't want to be there. He flat out did not want to play that position. They had two guys that did, and they didn't play them. So you could have questioned them about that, but no, I said, I'll I'll be nice to Lane. I'll ask him about, you know, uh, Holmes coming back. And he didn't, that's where he had a missing chip of some sort, because he didn't get that. <laughs> I was actually trying to help him out and get a good quote as well, but, when he walked off, it was one of the more stunning moments that I've ever been around covering, you know, college football. It was like this is so dumb. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to help. We threw you a life preserver, buddy.
2: What'd you do afterwards, we, Dan?
0: Huh? what do you do afterwards? just uh, I did I mean, the, the nice thing is when you know what you're doing, and you you don't feel like you know. I, I did anything at all because everybody else is like, gosh, we're not. Although I think people are smart enough now to say, I don't care if he didn't do the rest of the press conference. This is gold. We got one video walking away. It's going to be everywhere tonight. So I don't, nobody was mad because this didn't hurt her uh, they're uh, covering uh, that practice because they love it yeah, and we and we normally you did don't, it
1: on video yeah we normally don't film the head coach scrum because USC films it and they put it up well obviously they didn't put it up that day um so our friend Lindsay Theory I think had the best uh view and it was like 18 seconds like he literally just and just like I forget what the words were it's like I- i'm i got to go i got to go yeah I'm i got to go i'm out of here yeah i'm out and here. just and it was like what just happened? Like, or, you know, it's like you took a kid's, you know, toy away and he just walked off. And it was, uh, it was to me, like, I would look at that and th- that's like an unhirable thing. Like, I would never hire that guy.
0: Like, yeah, you'd have you to could. prove to yeah, me wh- exactly right well, why well, you and would. The do rules that. were you couldn't, you, you weren't supposed to talk about injuries, but injured guys coming back, that wasn't off limits. It was an injured guy who was going to play and it was obvious he was going to play. It wasn't like, oh, you don't have a center this week. No, it was you're, you. Got a center this week. Isn't that a good thing? Yeah, that was, you know, was just. But yeah, it's just when they throw the, when you throw them a life preserver and they just, you know, they swim on by, and say, I don't want that life preserver. That's cool. Well, there's a little Dan
1: Weber history there because we got a question later on that wants a little bit more of that. So that's some some good insight into uh, Dan on the USC mm-hmm. beat. Um, we got Paul. Next up, he says, Ryan, I got a question specifically for you. Okay, so you two can take a seat for a second. (laughs) How would you feel about opening with Alabama this year? After last year's ass whip, are you glad we won't see them again until the national championship game? Or do you think we've progressed enough now? Do you feel it would be okay for us to take them on now and win or lose? You could have a great season and catch them in a championship game. Uh, This has to be Florida State's mindset, don't you think? Paul in Vegas. And uh, Paul, I'll I'll answer and let, let the rest of the crew do too. Um, I'd certainly think USA is a better shot this year than last year. Um, I'm, if you look at the previous question about the hype and all that, uh, because Clay Heldon hasn't done all this before, I think it's all uncharted territory. Like Dan was saying, it looks like they're doing the right things. They're not doing the kind of dumb, small things that just pile up and pile up. And at the end, when it's a disaster, you go, wow, we can kind of see this coming. If it's a disaster this year, I don't think you're seeing it coming. It would just more be about, that you hired a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience and maybe he didn't handle it behind the scenes well Uh, i don't think that's the case though so i think if you had to pick a year last year was a terrible year for it this year would be much better are they to the alabama level yet i'm you know i would still probably pick an alabama in that game uh, but they seem to be on the right track and a a team like florida state they won a national championship in the last few years the pac-12 hasn't won one in 12 so i mean this is you know, having a championship under your belt and the head coach, Jimbo Fisher, doing that, I, you know, you give them a, a puncher's chance in that game, even though Alabama's been the, the bell cow of college football. um, You know, they're one of the favorites to win the national championship. USC's, you know, a seven to five favorite right now to make the college football playoff. So I think this year you could take even, a, you know, a close loss or even, you know, a two touchdown loss or something Alabama early. You could still go back, be a better team by the end of the year and make the national championship. So I think it'd be better this year. But it's not like I'd be saying, oh, yeah, USC would kill Alabama if they started this year.
2: Yeah.
0: No, I would think that uh, Alabama, there are some issues. Uh, and USC was unable to exploit any of them. But, I mean, Alabama didn't even have a starting quarterback yet last year. I yeah. mean, they started the other kid and then found her. Uh And USC had a chance. They just weren't even remotely ready to, you know, to take advantage of it. But by the end of the year, I think USC offensively was very comparable to Clemson, and you know what Clemson put up, 40, 42 points on them, uh, and Alabama, if you're really competent offensively, uh, it's tough, I think, a little bit to come out of the Southeastern Conference, because you just don't see teams that are really competent offensively. I mean, Alabama, that's a, you know, they may have a big game with LSU every year, but unless you can't play offense or hasn't been. And, and I know they're saying, oh, we got quarterbacks in the league this year, which is interesting uh, that they'd have to talk about that. But uh, but I think CM going, I mean, you know, they put up 52 and, and, and took off some, uh, you know, uh, took some time against uh, a really solid Penn State defense. So by the end of the year, you know, I think, I think they've got a chance. I think the big difference would be uh, USC would, I'd be really disappointed if this defense with, uh, with the whole year for these guys, you know, to get bigger and stronger and smarter and, and all the other, other parts of it. I, I'd be really surprised if they, uh, you know, made it easy for Alabama. I, I mean, last year's defense, they, you know, God only knows, uh, all the mistakes they made in that game. I, I wouldn't see that happening again, but, uh, you know, I think it's fine if they don't, they don't have to get them early in the year. I mean, getting you know Stanford and Texas in the in the first three games is is plenty, and uh, I think that, that's just about that's just about right and and where you want to be uh, and kind of build. And if you have to beat you know uh, Washington in the championship game again, that's another uh, you know a team that people think also has a chance to get to the playoffs. So uh, that'd be. That'll be perfect, and you know my perfect scenario is uh, you beat Washington, let's say, in the championship game, and uh, and you finish second or third in the nation, and that gets you a chance to play at the Rose Bowl. And the ideal thing would be if you could get, say, Ohio State also finish second or third, and they you get an Ohio State uh, USC classic Rose Bowl. Is the first semifinal game, and then the second game is in the Sugar Bowl. And say you have Alabama against you know Florida State again, or something like that. And then the the two winners go and play in that brand new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. I think to me, that's the dream scenario, because you'd have the build up, you'd have uh, the UCLA game, then you get a bye, and a build up. If you win the South, you build up to play at Levi Stadium against uh, uh, Washington. Then you have what three or four weeks build up to the Rose Bowl, and then another whatever ten days to go to the to Atlanta. I mean, if USC yes, could pull that off, I mean that would be one of those uh, you know just couldn't ask for anything more. If you could combine uh, the Rose Bowl and the playoffs, uh, it'd be just. The, about as good as it'd be better than anything that, that Pete got to do because of the extra, of the extra game. But but that would be if I'm a USC fan, that's the dream scenario.
2: This is kind of modifying the question, but I would want USC to play Alabama again just this year, so you could compare what the differences. You know how much, oh, yeah. did it, how well did they buy into Clancy's system? You know, because it took time for it to really take into effect over last season. So and then seeing Sam Darnold instead of Max Brown, you know, I think that would be interesting just to compare and see the difference.
0: Yeah. Well, they they can do that at the end of the year. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Cool.
1: Uh, We got Nick. He said, hello, Trojan fans, on his (laughs) intro. My question is for Dan about looking back uh, on the tenure of Pat Hayden. I know a lot of people have bashed Pat, but let's look at his hirings in athletics from Steve, Andy, Andy. Ed O. Clay, academic graduation rates and GPA uh, raising, etc. He can't be that bad, as the media has portrayed him. Fight on, from Nick.
0: Uh,
1: <clears throat> I disagree, Nick. Nick but did, go ahead, Dan.
0: Did, did, Nick. Did I did I hear you gave Pat credit for Ed O. <laughs> uh, see that was that was part of the problem. I, I mean, I don't think, and I don't think, uh, uh, to be honest, the uh, Clay Helton was not a, a Pat Hayden hire. I mean that was a that was a Max Nikias informed by some people who he listened to. I think once you've hired Steve Sarkeesian and then failed to fire him after failing to fire Lane Tiffin after the sunball and all that went went on with that. I don't think you know I don't think Pat was probably somebody that they were listening to. I will give him credit, and I didn't think that Andy. I, I mean, I think the Andy Enfield thing. Uh, I might have. I was probably one who said, "Bring back Tim Floyd." I think he got a bad deal. Other than that, the next guy on my list was Andy. I liked Andy personally. I liked his intelligence, his smarts, his background, all of that. I think it took a little longer to get there. I think the the, the big part that that was that you got to give Pat credit or someone. Is that they allowed Andy to hire his, his two assistants, coaches, uh, Bland and Hart, that they are just sensational, uh, recruiters. It makes it for a great staff at USC. I do think, you know, with the depth they've got this year, they've got to figure out some, how are we going to use all of those good players? And that's before even the potential that Marvin Bagley, uh, number one player in the, you know, the nation, uh, you know, leaves high school early and, and goes to college, which sure looks like he is, and here you've got USC in the maybe final two with Duke. Are you kidding? Uh, and yet, USC always should have been that program. I mean, you know, in a brand-new building in a, in a at a campus that's just this wonderful place, a mile-and-a-half from L.A. Live, uh, a mile-and-a-half from two NBA franchises. There's no other school in America where a kid can come play, and there are two NBA you know, teams right down the street. I mean, it, and people forget that when OJ Mayo was there and Kevin Love at UCLA and that those teams would play one another and you can have literally 25 NBA scouts at every game. I mean, you can get, you know, as much exposure as you ever, you know, could possibly want. If you play at USC, they just had a run of some of the worst, you know, coaching, you know, ideas that anybody ever had. And, you know, in the world but. uh, You know, past legacy. I think once you hired Sark, with all that everybody knew going into that hire, and and you had Ed, who you know easily you could have, you know, left in place, and and that was such a disaster that there's no way you come back from that. I mean, that's just that's one of those disqualifiers uh, for. Oh, it was a good, you know a good tenure. No, not really. I mean, it started off badly. I mean, it was somebody who didn't understand what happened with the whole NCAA situation. It was started with, you know, it ended up with somebody who uh, a couple of times during his tenure, the NCA, according to everybody that, that knows what was going on, was ready to come, come out with some givebacks. And, you know, Scholarships or wins or whatever, because they were, you know, caught dead to rights with the uh, the information that came out in the in the Judge Schaller decision, and then they decided, no, we're not going to do it because it'll hurt us in the mcnair you know, lawsuit. But uh, uh, that's where I think if you're the AD at USC, you call a press conference and say, these guys lied to me. These guys, you know, we're, we had an agreement in place, and then. They backed out of it, but it was that never happened, and that should have happened. USC needed somebody standing up for USC, and that that didn't happen. And and that whole we're going to win the right way. I mean, I tried to tell Pat once. I said, I I think of of the top 25 programs in America, that maybe Stanford is cleaner, you know, is you know cleaner than USC, but. There are a lot of programs in that top 25 that aren't anywhere near as uh, clean and fair and honest as USC was uh, during that whole period. And I said, I know those people were convinced that USC was cheating because they knew how much cheating they would have had to do. For them to be as good as USC, they'd have had to cheat like unbelievably, you know, and they just were sure USC was cheating. So that's why when they, you know, they wrote them up on the, on the Reggie Bush stuff, and they were convinced, I mean, they, I would have spoken out about this. For example, the N.C.A. decided first, USC's guilty. They decided second, we're going to give them penalties worse than we gave Miami, because as a favor to Paul D., the chairman of the former uh, Miami AD, chairman of the committee, and then we'll go out and find the evidence. Well, that's why it took them four years before they even brought USC, you know, in for the the hearing because they couldn't find anything. And then, finally, they ended up essentially framing Todd McNair and making stuff up. And I just think at no time would I have uh, agreed to, uh, to accept that if I'm USC. And they got the benefit when Judge Schaller decided... And they, uh, Todd McNair's attorneys were so smart and they got the NCA to make a fatal mistake. They tried to get the case thrown out and the McNair attorneys got discovery. And that's when they found the emails, and they found that the NCA was making stuff up, knew they were wrong, breaking their own rules. And they got a judgment. Never before in history has, has a school gotten been presented with that kind of a judgment about what the NCAA did. It won't happen again either because nobody's going to email anybody ever at the NCAA. But I just don't think at that point you sit back and say, well, we know what they did, but we're just not going to say anything. No. I mean, so for me, that really makes it hard hard for for Pat's tenure to to be considered, uh, uh, you know, a successful one.
1: Yeah, I would say, I don't want to dwell on this too much. We had other questions, but. Basically, if you look at all the major decisions Pat, Pat Hayden made, um, unfortunately, if you did the exact opposite on all of them, USC would be in a much better position than they are now. So that's <laughs> I, I'll stand by that 100%, and I know that is true. So we'll move on.
0: Um, you know, if you'd have blindfolded him <laughs> and just three darts <laughs> oh and, and accepted whatever it hit, you'd have been better off. I mean, you're right. Either way. Yeah.
1: I uh, like Pat Hayden. I mean, I, I like him a lot. It was cool. Like, he was a cool guy to be around. But just all of the decisions – he needed to be the smartest guy in the room, and he's a very smart guy, but he just made a lot of bad decisions, and that's that's what you're paid to do. He was the highest-paid athletic director in the world, and, uh, yeah, that was bad. Okay,
0: yeah.
1: uh, Anthony in L.A., he said, hello, Peristyle. First off, great work as always, guys. Dan and Ryan, and I guess I'll throw Keely in there. With fall camp and full pads coming, I'm really excited about our running back group, Rojo, Cedric Ware. Uh, Vi, Stephen Carr, it's really going to be interesting who emerges as a number two. What position groups are you two excited about coming into camp because of our strength of depth in those areas? Thanks, as always, Anthony and L.A.
0: Well, I think we've already mentioned wide receivers. I think you got to like uh, tight ends. Although, I mean, I think there's three uh, at the very top level, a, a really serviceable walk-on kid, Austin Appleby and uh and the two freshmen who i don't think have to play but uh you know may you know try to you know push the situation but i think with carrie angeline's development at tight end and, and you know he says he's probably 6'8 now 245 runs the field great great hand uh with daniel Amaterbaby, baby who's 6'4 244 i think the last he said and uh you know, and, and and Tyler Petit, he's he's been a you know a guy that's been in there for. This will be his third year. I think they're going to be able to do a lot of things with those guys, uh, and I think it's going to be hard to pay attention to them with the way they're going to attack with the wide receivers. Uh, but I I don't discount that the running backs are are going to be fun to watch, and I don't know if it's going to be a real you know system where you've got a a very defined you know one two three i think they're going to do things with uh with two running backs in the game i really do do believe that i think they're going to throw the ball to the running backs in a lot of different places and uh and kind of uh extended handoffs i remember was the s.i.d and xavier we were at a uh years ago we were in a college basketball tournament at brigham young and they were going to a bowl game it was you know december and I went out and watched them practice every day. I'd been a high school football coach, and I'm. It all of a sudden hit me, that they were the only ones in the country doing it then with Lavelle Edwards. And I'm thinking, I see what they're doing. Those are those are just long handoffs. Those are just extended. You know, that's a running play, but they didn't have great uh, tailbacks. They didn't have great you know uh, athletic offensive linemen, but they could pass block. And they would come out and throw the ball with those quarterbacks one after another. And I said, this is their run game. It's just, uh, they're just long handoffs. And I think USC's going to do a lot of stuff that makes make you think, you know, those are long handoffs. Uh, they threw the ball the other day, uh, to, uh, uh Ronald Jones on the sideline. And he, he put it in gear. And you're thinking, huh, you anyway, know, he's 205 pounds now. I think he's actually more explosive at 205 and pretty much the same weight Reggie was when Reggie, uh, you know, junior year. And there are times when he does, and again, it's unfair to ever compare anybody there, but there, you know, with Reggie, but there are times where he does things and you think, wow, okay, that's special. And, um, uh, now how that, how that goes after that, Aka Cedric Ware is, tougher that, you know, you could possibly, you know, hope for a guy, Stephen Carr, you know, 210 pounds, he just catches the ball. And I know T. Martin was raving about him, um, you know, his ability to catch it. And we've seen Vavai do everything that's asked of him uh, uh, in the spring. And he's just one of those, you know, all-purpose guys catch it and run it. Uh, It's going to be fun to see, you know, how that, how that breaks out or how they, I mean, I'm kind of hoping that they run tempo and that they play like they're two touchdowns behind, uh, and, and they play fast and 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 they and not you know kind of the way they did it with Sark, where we're trying to can we keep track and get a hundred plays. But you would like to see them average 90 plays and really, really give uh, all those guys a chance to to get a number you know carries and catches and. And all all of that because I think they all deserve it. So, uh but that's uh, that's kind of what I'll be looking at.
2: I think the whole offense this is kind of cop out. but The whole offense is interesting to me just because you might have in each position group like the number one guy, but after that you don't really know yet, which is I think is interesting because usually the offense seems to be more set in stone than the defense, but it's kind of opposite this season.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, and I, I kind of want to see the front seven because it's. Sometimes you see two down defensive linemen. Maybe this year you could see four at times. You know, we're not sure. You know, where the bodies. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of good bodies there, and it just it's really up to Clancy who he feels comfortable with, who he has confidence in, and how. That's basically how he's going to tailor the defense. So, uh, might be a few more bodies, Dan, on the defensive line this year that you can play with.
0: And there are, and if they only play two, and and again, you know, only Stanford and maybe Utah, I don't, you know, uh, are the kind of team where you really do have to stop the run first. Uh, uh, I don't know how many they're going to play, uh, but if they only play two, they're sure going to be able to rotate. I mean, they're going to have guys that that you know that they can come in and play fast with. And I think the the thing you hope is that they really trust those guys and where they don't need uh, a. a 25-year-old guy like Stevie with his strength and all that to just say, okay, hold him off, Stevie, from, you know, agap to agap. And with the, the feeling that we can send guys and use their speed and athleticism, you know, to get places. And, and uh, you know, Clancy always talks about wanting to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I think that's the key is uh, can you, you know, get enough, you know, guys who are ready to play fast and play on the other side of the line of scrimmage and just turn them loose. And you know, get take advantage of Rasheem Green, you know, 275 pound, you know, really athletic, that athletic body. Or Kenny Bigelow? Does he come back and and have that ability? Uh, he's he's uh, kind of trimmed down to 285. And they've got guys that you know, I mean, they certainly look the part. Uh, I mean, then you look at you know, Port Augustine and and you know, and and Uchenna, and uh, they really look the part of a shutdown defense, uh, And, you know, that, that will be the, i mean, to, to me, of, of all the things that are going to happen this year, if they get to that true shutdown defense, take other teams out of the game, uh, that's the, that's the more than anything else will tell you uh, how far this team can go. If, if that becomes this team, if they can go up and line up with Stanford and just say, we're not going to let you in the game. We're just, Taking the game away from you. Or sorry, you, you don't get to play here, uh, the way T. Carroll's team did, or you force teams like Stanford to take chances and do things they don't want to do. Um, and that was, you know, the, a big secret with Pete's Teams is his defenses took you out of your game and made you do, you know, do things you didn't want to do. And that's when they, you know, they took the ball away from people. And uh, we haven't had haven't had a chance to see that in a while, and, and I think that, you know, you hope that's kind of the, the change in the mindset with this team. And I get the sense from watching them in the summer how serious they are, how much coaching going on between the older players and the younger ones. Uh, they're thinking the same thing. We've got a couple of quick ones we'll let you go, Dan. Tark.
1: first, do you see Jamel Cook as a legitimate option to start alongside Biggie Marshall at corner?
0: absolutely yeah absolutely and i know the danger with jamal is if you got him thinking about three positions the slot you know cover guy and the safety that he came in as and the corner i'm not sure i want him spending time learning every one of those positions i mean I, my 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 first take on him would be just let him go out there and be jamal and play corner and take guys out of the game and that would be that would be the, you know, the, kind of the way I would look at it. So, whether that happens or not, we're not sure uh, what's going to, you know, be the situation with Jack Jones, but, uh, uh, that would, that might be where I'd go. Do you have anything to Okay. Oh, good. Okay, go ahead.
2: Dan got it. Okay.
1: Uh, David says, Ryan, last week you and Dan talked about changing next season's first game against UNLV to one of the glamour games against an opponent like Alabama, Ohio State, et cetera. My question is, why would you want to do something like that? We already play Notre Dame and Texas in non-conference. Isn't two such games enough? We clearly would make the playoff if we went undefeated with that schedule, and perhaps even with one loss. Why add one more upper echelon Power 5 game to an already loaded schedule? From David.
0: Well, I think if Sam, if Sam Darnold were coming back, then you might like that. And I don't know if we're talking so much next year. I just think the idea of, uh, uh, with the new stadium that they're going to have in uh, Las Vegas, uh, and not to mention the new stadium in L.A., uh, much like that they've done with the uh, NFL stadiums, you know, in Dallas, where USC played last year, uh, and and Atlanta, uh, and and Houston, all have those kind of, uh, you know, intersectional matchups first weekend for TV. So I don't know that that's, that's the worst thing in the world for, for USC, but they've got to pick their spots. I'm not sure you'd want to do it with a new young quarterback necessarily. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, if you could get, you know, find, you know, say Florida State wanted to come out and play USC at a, uh, you know, the L.A. Kickoff Bowl or something at the new, uh, at the new Rams Stadium where you could, you know, where a team might be willing to play you there, but not the Coliseum. Uh, that would, you know, or if you did it in Las Vegas at their, at their new stadium, uh, I think, I think I'd be open to, to something like that, but you're right. USC, you know, kind of has a loaded, a loaded schedule, you know, with Notre Dame in there, but, uh, but I think if you get the program to where, and I mean, the goal has to be get, get back to where P was and, and those games were good for USC, To be honest, they really, those were good games. Those were, those were good for the program. So, so I'm not, I'm not totally against those at all.
1: All Alright, we got one last one. It's a voicemail question and it kind of, uh, it cuts in and out. So I'll play the beginning for you, but you get the gist of it and then we'll, we'll get your thoughts, Dan. Here you go.
0: Ryan, Chris from Delaware, your absolute biggest fan. Calling for the Enigma, Dan Weber. He's one of my favorites, but he is a very, uh, not secret. He just is a, we don't know too much about him. The only thing I've learned about him in my, listening was last week that he likes wine and cheese. And I was kind of hoping that since we're in a down part of the season, you know, the camp hasn't started and there's no games or anything, that we could maybe get, you know, a little introspective about Dan Weber this week. So, Dan, my question is,
1: what? and it kind of cuts out there after that but uh
2: can i just what? interject really uh, yeah yeah i've been on the sidelines with dan for like maybe four years now <laughs> and i barely know a lot about dan like i'll get little snippets here and there but he is an enigma he's a he's a secretive person oh
0: maybe i, don't I just don't ask well <laughs> I, I i had to look up i had to look up the famous churchill quote which uh where he uh a 1939 radio interview. They asked him about Russia, and he said, "Russia is a riddle wrapped in a mystery, inside an enigma." <laughs> he always so, had some good uh, And Russia is uh, at the top of everybody's, uh, uh, you know, political thought pattern right now. I was interested. Was Chris from Delaware, right? Uh, I, I actually spent some time not that far from. at least to drive through Delaware uh, uh, lived in, uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And, um, uh, was a sports editor, Bucks County, Courier Times, uh, and lived in Yardley and lived in, uh, in Westchester as well. So, uh, uh, actually we were in Westchester, wasn't far at all from Delaware. So, uh, uh, so I know you're, I know where you, where of you speak. I actually interviewed for a job at the Wilmington paper. So, uh, um, so I'm kind of familiar with your territory, but uh, uh, to give you a real quick uh, history, was a uh, was a high school coach. Uh, played played high school football and baseball at St. X High in, in Cincinnati, which is used to be the largest Jesuit high school in the country. Now I think. Uh, <sighs> It passed the of L.A. with 1,500 boys, but then uh, I think Bellarmine, another Jesuit high school in San Jose, is now possibly number one. But, uh, but we won the state championship in Ohio last year with a team that lost 35-6 to 6 in the opener to Bosco, which tells you how good high school football is uh, in California. That's one of the, the big eye-openers. Because I, I we played in the Greater Cincinnati League, which was really... And probably still is one of the great high school leagues in the country, the catholic League in in Cincinnati, where muller uh Jerry Faust and Muller and Cincinnati all great programs. But when you see some of the programs out here, that's what the benefit of of coming out here is uh to see uh, uh Bosco and modern day and um uh, and corona you know Centennial and mission Viejo and then obviously. Uh, De La Salle in Northern right. California, it always, it, I wasn't prepared, you know, I grew up kind of in between the big town and the SEC country right on the Ohio river. And so, you know, we went to games and, you know, we'd go down to Kentucky and watch LSU and Georgia, Auburn, uh, Ole Miss. Uh, we'd go to Notre Dame and, and watch Notre Dame games, go to Columbus and watch Ohio State. So we kind of felt like we were in the middle of uh, whole world of of college football which we were but uh but coming out here uh it surprised me USC always I I had run a a trailing I'll throw all this stuff in I ran a national a trailing college football hall of fame I put together for uh, a year and a half and did actually did the Notre Dame USC game in 1989 in South Bend and uh got to meet the Pellerin brothers. Uh, We had a a customized RV that was like a mini college football hall of fame and and people would come through and you got to meet. And I, I ran into the the Pellerin brothers who had gone to like the one Giles, I guess, had gone to 800 and some straight USC games home and away since the, like the 1920s. And, and I had always had this picture of Southern California. It's like, you know, kind of way out there, and and you ran into these guys, and they were they knew so much about college football, the history of college football. And then when I came out to Southern California, you realize, man, this play these guys have been around for a long time. This is a program. It was winning uh, national uh, championships back in the 1920s. So it kind of grounded me on 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 what USC you know, what USC, you know, really was, but, but I was lucky. I was a high school football coach and that has helped me, I think, immensely cover football. I mean, it just really, you just, there are just things you can feel and, and, and and the way you look at players and the way you look at how practice goes or, or or the way you see games that, that I think it's just, it is a a kind of a big advantage having, having been able to do that. I was also a sports information director at Xavier, uh, with my alma mater, we convinced them that if they gave big-time basketball one chance, one more chance, as they had kind of faded, and they were going in the wrong direction and hiring the wrong people, and, uh, and convinced them that they had a chance. Uh, Xavier was one of the last four uh, Catholic schools to have Division One football. Xavier, Dayton, Boston College, and Notre Dame. And when the Bengals came in, Xavier and Dayton just got killed. Their season ticket base, uh, really got hurt badly. And Xavier lost a lot of money playing football, trying to keep Division One football alive. And, uh, and that was, it, it hurt the basketball program. And we tried to convince them, and they finally listened. They said, okay, we'll give, we'll give them one more chance. And it's really paid off. And that's one of my, uh, real thrills that I was able to, convince Xavier that, that if you do basketball right you could uh you could really have a good program and I think uh, the last Forbes magazine rates the value of college athletic programs and Xavier was like the number 20 uh 20 most valuable college basketball program so was uh was involved with uh with doing that and been a sports editor in uh in in, Chico- in the Chicago area and uh uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey area, and then then California. So, uh, and came out. My wife got a job at the LA Times, which got me out here. And, uh, so I guess if you figure uh, New York, uh, Chicago, and LA, the top three markets in the country, uh, which is kind of a places I would have never guessed, you know, I was going to end up. I mean, I, I was lucky I got to cover the Yankees in Joe Torre's first World Series uh winning year, uh, when they beat the Braves. They just got to do a lot of, you know, pretty neat things. They got to cover the Bengals in the coldest game ever played in in uh NFL football fifty nine below. Uh wind chill Factor when they played the uh poor San Diego Chargers. They had to come from San Diego and, and play in fifty nine uh <laughs> 59 degree below zero wind chill. Yikes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, I just, I got to cover a lot of final four. I got to cover Kentucky basketball. I think I was the only person as a beat person that covered both Kentucky basketball and UCLA basketball and compared the two kind of dynasties, uh, UCLA with, you know, John Wooden. and, And I started in Northern Kentucky, which is, uh, where I grew up and, and, and that's where Coach Wooden started he, he coached at a, a little high school right there on, on the Ohio River Dayton High School and uh, uh, could talk to him about he still knew he was 94 and he still knew all the all the names of the players he coached and and where they lived and all you know it was amazing uh, so some of that pretty neat I think I'll throw this in the uh, most in, I got to, you know talked to an awful lot of people. I covered the Bulls with Michael Jordan. Uh, but I think the most intimidating, most interesting person to cover, I, think I got to, I got to do some Olympics and, you know, U.S. Opens and, and Wimbledon and French Open, that kind of stuff. But uh, talking to Bear Bryant, I think was, he was, he was different. <laughs> he was somebody, uh was hard to just be yourself when you talk to him. You knew you were talking to Bear Bryant. It was like probably nobody else that I can you know I can think of. Uh, he, was, he was one of a kind. Uh, but that was I've just been very fortunate. I've gotten to do gotten to do a lot of things and gotten to be in a lot of places. I was a uh, I was doing a story for a national. Uh, Positions sports magazine and the Lakers were playing in, uh, in Madison square garden. And uh, the theme of the story we were, about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar never got hurt. And he was a very difficult person to talk to. And everybody said, and uh, he did this stretching. He, had, he believed in this, in the stretching regimen that he did that nobody else did. And he believed in it so strongly. And so, and most of the people in the Lakers locker room, I had never been out here, never knew anybody at the Lakers. But they said, oh gosh, you know, you want to talk to Kareem? And I, don't, I don't know. So I told him what I was doing. And it was like, he, like the light bulbs, he was so excited to talk about, um, about what he did and why he believed in it so strongly. I mean, he almost didn't go out for the game because he was so excited and nobody ever talked to him about it. So (laughs) I got very lucky. So, and I go out to the court and I had written a story about a guy in basketball who pretty much invented the jump shot, perfected the jump shot and made it really important in, uh, in the nba and he was from a small a couple of small towns that were underwater in kentucky at the time and he led the philadelphia warriors to the first nba championship and yet he died tragically and he's considered one of the 50 greatest players but nobody even knows who he is his name is joe f-u-l-k-s joe Fulks, jumping joe uh but um the only story i ever could find about him, I did a lot of research, Only really good research, was by Dustin Hoffman's wife. If you remember, Dustin Hoffman and his wife were really big Knicks fans. So I'm standing there at courtside just watching him warm up. And I look and I realize I'm standing next to Dustin Hoffman, like elbow to elbow, like Keely on the sideline. And I have to say, I kind of tell you, Uh, I did a lot of research. It was like she did like a 24 page, uh, paper on the jump shot and jump and jumping Joe said She did a great job. And I was, you know, it's really interesting and I'm really appreciative. And he says, Oh yeah, I remember that was, yeah, that was really good stuff. And then he says, she's my ex wife. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. My ex wife, uh, but, uh, it was, you know, just fun to be able to, to do lots of things in lots of places. And yet college football by far, I think, is, is the best sport and the most fun. And, and there's just, there's just something about it. It's more a fabric of people's lives than, than, than almost any other sport. It's just, there's just kind of nothing like it.
1: Kayla, did you learn a lot more about Dan there?
2: I did. That was yeah. like a, oral history is great.
0: So, no more of the big. So anyway, then. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Been there, done that. I've been to forty-nine of the fifty states. I still haven't been to North Dakota. <laughs> North there. Dakota, wow. That's a, <laughs> Isn't that I'll right get the, there someday. Mount
2: Rushmore is, or is that South Dakota? South Dakota. Oh, okay, yeah. never mind. Then why South North Dakota
0: is easy. North Dakota is a little hard. You got to really be going to North Dakota oh. to end up in North Dakota. Cool. You walked right. get there accidentally. <laughs> accidentally. I mean, North it's Dakota. weird though. I mean, I. I i was uh we ha- i helped actually start northern kentucky university's uh sports program started between classes that i was teaching at covington catholic high school when their administrators all came up and said yeah we're thinking about starting it was february and we're thinking about starting basketball and other sports next year and i said wait you don't have a coach you don't have a schedule you don't have a team you know well and- so i had a friend who was really good high school basketball coach at Covington Catholic, and I ran out there and I said, they're starting a program at Northern. Go tell them. You'll coach them. He goes and tells them, and they hire him. So within a year or two, we end up in the NAIA World Series in um, Lewiston, Idaho, which is the airport where USC lands when they play Washington State. Uh, And I remember going out to Lewiston, Idaho and thinking, I just went to the other side of the moon. You know, it's like, where in the world is this? And it had a few rainout days, so I ended up ended up in places like. I went over to Pullman, see Washington State, and I said, boy, I got to pay attention here. I'll never be back here. This is like, this is like so far from my, you know, my world that you know. And I've been to Pullman, Washington now more than I've been to back home to Northern Kentucky in the last you know, ten years probably. And it's just, you know, you never thought you would end up, in, you know, in Pullman, Washington uh, as a sort of a regular regular basis. But uh, here we are. All right. Dan Weber, Keely, Yore,
1: uh, <laughs> USCfootball.com reporter. We'll have to do a – Keeley's history probably won't be as long as Dan's, maybe. Uh... It's
0: much shorter, okay. for sure. <laughs> um, that was yeah. the abbreviated version by far. Oh, okay. Wow.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on there, so that's cool. But, yeah, th- thanks for all the questions and everything. And, uh Keely, thanks for coming in. Of course. And, uh Dan Weber, thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you. Very much fun.
1: Yeah, great stuff. Man, we went like an hour and 25 minutes on this podcast, so it's a little longer.
0: Wow. That's all Keely's fault. I know. Keely's I'm fault. sorry.
2: My bad.
1: Keely added all that. So. Well, anyway, but I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We got probably no more podcasts this week. I had a couple of... uh Days of Pac-12 Media Day might do a Pac-12 podcast, Podcast of Champions from there. So we'll try to do something like that. But hope you guys enjoy this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible.